listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. The lights are dim in the room because it's just about bedtime. And I can hear Tina, my wife, in the other room reading bedtime story to my two-and-a-half-year-old named Avison. And she does this every night, Tina does. She's such a good mom. And I'm sitting in my chair listening to music, and Isley's behind me in the den, squeezing out the final moments of playing with her toys. And I come across this album called, by Stephanie Gretzinger called The Undoing. And I listen to a couple of songs, and I all of a sudden get to this song called Come Out of Hiding. A Father's Song is the subtitle. And I listen to the song in the dark, and I'm undone. I get about to the end of the song, and Isaac walks around the chair and says, Hey, Daddy, what are you doing? And I said, I'm listening to music. And she said, Can I listen? And she crawls into my lap. And I'm like, Of course you can. So I start the song over. And we listen to this song, to that song, together. And with the lights down low and my baby girl on my lap, for the first time maybe, I get it. And I just start crying. Which, if you know me, doesn't really take much. But... I'm crying in this chair, and Isley looks up at me and says, Daddy, why are you crying? And I'm, I think, how do you explain the father's love to a six-year-old? How do you explain a father who would sacrifice his own son? so that I could be saved. A father who's desperately calling for us to keep on running, that we're almost home. A father who's anxiously looking and waiting for his prodigal son to return. It makes so much more sense when you read those stories through the eyes of the Father who's given up everything so that we can be close to him. Isley vaguely remembers this moment. She definitely remembers the song. But for me, this moment is sacred. Something changes in me that night as my eyes are opened for the first time again to the love of the Father. 
The moment ends. I kiss Isley, and I send her off to her room to go to bed. And then I can hear Tina, of course, reading to Isley also. And I sit there in the dark, and I'm just overwhelmed by the love of God. A few minutes later, Tina comes walking into the room, and she says, Hey, babe, what you doing? Besides not helping me put the kids to bed. <laughs> Words I've heard before, <laughs> deservedly so. And I tell her all excited, oh, I heard this album and this song, you have to listen to it. And so she sits down and she listens to the song with me in the dark. And of course she loves it because it's amazing. And I don't know why, but I, I look at Tina and I say, babe, I can imagine Isley singing this song one day on stage. And babe, for the first time maybe in our 21 years of marriage, I can confidently say I was right. <laughs> I was right. God is good. And if you pay attention to those moments, he'll surprise you. I mean, randomly, Isley happens to be working on this song right now for a piano recital that's coming up. And at the same time, Pastor Ryan Post, who's not here today, had this crazy idea and said, hey, maybe Kevin would be a good idea to fill in for me on Father's Day weekend. The jury's still out, Ryan. We'll see. But it gave us this moment. And I understand what James said in the book of James when he said, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. I entitled my sermon today, Zoom Out. I figured it was a concept that most of us are familiar with these days because most of us have cell phones. Well, everyone except for my dad. He's the last person I know without a cell phone. Happy Father's Day, Dad. <laughs> this is your gift, so I hope you like it. But we go with me for a second. You probably have all had this feeling, right? You have your phone, you get a notification, and you look at it, and all of a sudden the notification says you've been tagged in a picture. And what's the first feeling that you have? I'll tell you what mine is. Oh, crap. <laughs> Who posted a picture of me on the internet without me being able to curate how that picture was taken? Without my permission. I mean, was I standing up straight? Did I have my arm in the right position for the picture? Did I have my chin down, making it look like I had a double chin? Because, of course, I don't have a double chin. It's just the angle of the picture, right? It's not the copious amounts of fast food that I eat on a regular basis. It's the angle. It's the filter. 
And so what do I do? I open the picture and I look at the picture. And the first thing I do when I open the picture is it smile and remember what a good time I was having in that image. Or maybe it's a group of friends who hasn't been together in a while and they posted the picture and I think, oh, it was so good to see them. We haven't talked to them in so long. It's so awesome to see what God's doing in their lives. Nope, that's not what I do. The first thing I do is this. And if you don't have a cell phone, you know what I'm doing. I'm zooming in on the picture. I'm changing the perspective of the picture from the group to me. And when I look closely, I'm looking for the worst. I'm looking for all those parts that I hate about myself. And I shift my perspective to me. Now, I'm hoping today that we aren't focused on zooming in. I want to help us zoom out. And I think Paul wants to help us zoom out as well. And so we need to get better at doing this. Right? That's the universal hand signal. We need to get better at doing this. It also looks like I'm closing my mouth, which is probably a good thing too. But we need to zoom out. Our passage today is Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 through 4, 9. If you have your Bibles, you can look. You can look on the screen or on your phone. But before we get into it, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the opportunity to learn and hear from your word, Lord. Thank you for the miraculous way that you can speak through us and even me. In the name we pray. You might be wondering who I am and what I'm doing on this stage. Well, you're not alone. Because I am too. I have no idea how I got here. I, I'm telling you, I do, not, I do not deserve to be in this pulpit. I'm a wretched, wretched man. It should have been me on the cross. I mean, honestly, some of the people in this room are witness to some of my less than finest moments in my life. <laughs> Tina, Isley, Avison, Mom, Dad. Tomorrow there'll be even more of those people, Mrs. Cran, probably. <laughs> I could probably go on and on. So if you're thinking he doesn't deserve to be preaching, as Christy Simpson would say, you're not wrong. But you know what? God has a sense of humor. And buckets full of grace and mercy. And if you're willing to say yes, he can speak through you. And even me. I mean, I'm hoping to be at least as good as Balaam's donkey. That's my goal. But the bad news is, since this is my first sermon at Village Church, it's going to be my worst sermon. But on, on the other hand, 
that so far it's also my best sermon. <laughs> it's all a matter of perspective. I just finished reading a book recently called The Last Supper on the Moon by Levi Lusco. Uh, Levi loves all things related to space. He's passionate about it. I'm not as passionate about it, but I read the book, and it's amazing the correlations he draws out between our faith and space. And if you're brave enough to tackle the 480 pages, uh, it's worth it. He titled his book The Last Supper on the Moon because the first drink and the first food eaten on the moon was communion. I didn't know, I didn't know that. Did anybody else? Buzz Aldrin took in his personal preference pack the elements and a three-by-five card with two Bible verses on it to the moon. And after they got to the moon and they took the, the lunar lander and they landed on the moon, NASA gave them a moment of radio silence, which sounds really nice and kind, but it actually was intentional because uh, NASA was still fighting a lawsuit from the 1968 Apollo 8 mission where the astronauts orbited the moon for the first time and they actually read the creation story from the book of Genesis on national television. Some of you maybe were alive for that. And then shortly thereafter, NASA got sued by a prominent atheist at the time for separation of church and state. And so when they, they knew what Buzz Aldrin was going to do, and so when he landed on the moon, they, they radio silenced for a minute and gave him his time to do it. And so as he's sitting on the moon in the lunar lander, he takes out his three-by-five card, and he reads John chapter 15, verse 5, which says, As Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever remains in me, and I in him, will bear much fruit. For you do nothing without me. And then he takes the bread and the juice, and he takes communion all by himself on the moon. Neil Armstrong declined to participate. But you know the rest of the story. They get out of the lunar lander, they plant the flag, they collect up some moon rocks, and then they fly back to Earth, right? But before they fly back, or on their way back to Earth, Buzz Aldrin takes out his 3 by 5 card again for, to read the second verse. And as he's looking at probably something like this image on the screen, he reads Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. And this time the radio to NASA is on. It's not broadcast nationally, but if you go to the NASA website, you can actually hear him read this verse. And he says, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Imagine reading that passage 
while looking at this, a whole new perspective. Does anyone recognize this picture? This is a famous picture called Earth Rising. It was taken in December on Christmas Eve of 1968 on that same Apollo 8 mission I referenced before. And it was the first full-color picture, full-disc image of Earth from lunar orbit. And I know probably at this point in my sermon you're going, Kevin, I thought you were going to preach a sermon, not give us a history lesson. Why does this matter? Well, because Paul's about to teach us that perspective matters. In 1987, a man named Frank Wright wrote a book called The Overview Effect. He wrote The Overview Effect after spending time researching and doing interviews and collecting information about astronauts and cosmonauts who had traveled to space and come home. He coined the idea of, of the overview effect. And in his book, he basically concluded that people who get a glimpse of Earth from space have almost like an out-of-body experience. And upon returning from home, to home, they're less focused on their individual achievements and their own personal happiness and are more concerned about the collective good. When they literally zoomed out, they learned how to care for others better. Levi Lesko summed it up in his book and he said, when you see Earth from outer space, it changes your inner space. That's so good. All of a sudden, our problems don't seem so large. When we stop focusing on ourselves, we, let, we can let go of our anxiety and our desire to control everything. And we can start choosing joy and serving others. In our text today, Paul is trying to get the Philippians to shift their perspective from the temporary to the eternal. To zoom out and stop focusing on their present circumstances and remember the end of the story. If you remember, Paul is writing this book to the Philippians from jail in Rome or maybe Ephesus. And the letter to the Philippians is really, he's really commending the Philippians. He's and expressing his gratitude to the church in Philippi for their support of him, their prayers, their resources that they provide, even sending Epaphroditus to care for Paul and Timothy in their time of need. He's writing from jail, but his words are full of joy. In fact, scholars often call this the epistle of joy. I mean, how does Paul forget his circumstances and have so much joy? I'm going to contend with you tonight 
that Paul has somehow experienced the overview effect. And not because he zoomed to space and saw earth, but because somehow he saw heaven from earth. And it changed his perspective. In verse 20 of chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. Oh, it's right there. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's telling the Philippians, remember the end of the story. We belong to heaven. And a Savior is coming back. I love the back part of that. Right? Not just any Savior. Jesus Christ. You know the guy who walked and talked with us and ate with us and was crucified and died and rose again and then ascended to his Father. He's coming back for us. Everything is, gonna, is under his control. Everything is under control. Even if it doesn't feel like it. I think about the ver- song we just sang, Waymaker. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Because honestly, guys, right now, sometimes it doesn't feel like it's under control. But this is not the first time Paul expresses this idea or these sentiments in his letters. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. And then again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 16 and 17, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And catch this part. Verse 17. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Man, if I could be Paul and call my beatings and my imprisonment, my pending execution, light, momentary affliction. Because I don't know about you, but my afflictions feel heavy. And some of them probably are, and you probably have some that are heavier than mine. But if I'm being honest, some of my afflictions are pretty silly, too. I, I mean, I get angry at the smallest things when I lose my perspective. I mean, when I'm hot, <laughs> hear the laugh? When I'm hot and sweaty, I am not fun to be around. The problem is I'm hot and sweaty a lot. So there's that. 
or the unbelievable way the Dodgers cannot seem to score a runner from second base with no outs and extra innings. It's unfathomable, and it drives me insane. It happened last night. I'm not joking. I mean, I get angry. And I mean, I don't think they've won an, an extra inning game all year long, it feels like. Or when you go through the drive through and you get a mile down the road, and inevitably the order is wrong, right? And you're not going back. And it's always your item that's wrong, right? It's never anybody else's in the car. The kid's right, is always right. It's always mine. Or when your phone won't download whatever you're trying to listen to or look at. Needless to say, the image is going to space and back, but the two seconds I have to wait, I'm mad. It's probably because I'd have no data or because the Wi-Fi in the, is terrible. I'm probably at Village Christian on the student and guest Wi-Fi. And all the Village students said, Amen. I know, but you're probably saying, Kevin, you don't understand. My life is hard. I don't understand how God would allow fill in the blank. I don't stand up here and pretend to have any answers for you. But what I do know is that my God is good. And he's a big God beyond my comprehension. And he's promised us that he's got this. So I tell myself regularly, Kevin, yes, I talk to myself in third person, uh, often actually, and sometimes even out loud. I've, I've figured out in my life that I have to talk to myself rather than listen to myself. Because when I listen to my inner voice, it usually doesn't have very nice things to say especially about me. So I've learned to talk to myself and tell myself the things I need to be thinking. So on a regular basis, I say to myself, Kevin, God does not owe you an explanation every time he does something you don't understand. I have to repeat that to myself regularly. God does not owe you some, an explanation every time he does something you don't understand. My friend Bob Goff says it another way. He says, the measure of the good God is doing in our lives isn't measured by how we are feeling about it. Same sentiment. He's really an author, but I've hugged him once, so I, think I call him my friend. If you know Bob Goff or you've seen him, you would probably feel the same way. But if that's not enough... Paul goes on in verse 21, and he says, if I get to the right page, who, that he will also transform our lowly body into his glorious body, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So, Heaven comes back, our Savior returns, 
and he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I don't know if you remember anything from the New Testament about after the resurrection and, and what Jesus' body, glorious body was like. But he appeared to many people. And we know he had a physical and spiritual body at the same time. I don't really understand it, but I know that the disciples touched him, right? They felt his scars. And yet, at the same time, Jesus wasn't limited by time and space, and he, like, appeared in the room that was locked, and he didn't open any doors. Or if you remember the other story, story after he walks on the road to Emmaus, and he gets to the city, and he breaks bread, and the guys realize who he is, he just disappears. He's not there anymore. And ultimately, we know that he ascends back to the Father. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about my glorious body coming up. I look forward to that. I mean, no more body mass index that I have to worry about when I go to the doctor's office. No more root canals. No more frizzy hair days, all the curly-haired girls say. I mean, one day we get to join in with the angels singing and worshiping God. And we'll sing in perfect pitch and harmony, which I know Daniel is looking forward to because I have been in his choir. In these two verses, 20 and 21, Paul tells the people of Philippi, don't forget the end of the story. We belong to heaven our Savior is coming back, and our bodies will be transformed. Remember these things, and you can shift your perspective no matter your circumstance. In chapter 4, Paul goes on. He's getting ready to wrap up his letter to the Philippians. But first, he's going to drop some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And before he finishes, he wants to reiterate to the people of Philippi how he feels about them, what he wants them to do. And a little bit about how to do it. So in chapter 4, verse 1, don't skip over verse 1. I don't know if any of you are like me, but sometimes I, I, I like pre-decide in my head which verses are important in the Bible and which ones are less important. I don't know. I, I like I breeze over things sometimes, you know, genealogies and the like. And like sometimes the beginning of the letters in the New Testament, because they typically open like I am Paul usually writing to the church at blah, 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 and I miss you and I love you and and so I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't really need the salutation, right? I can just skip over that part. And, and sometimes I do that in other verses. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying this is a good way to read the Bible. I'm just, if I'm being honest, sometimes I do that. And I think I've done it because I like so many of the verses further down in chapter 4 that I just kind of I breeze through verse 1. But as I was preparing for the sermon, I, something struck me about verse 1 that I hadn't struck me before. And Paul says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, 
Stand firm thus in the Lord. That's what he says, right? Oh, I forgot the parenthetical. Don't get scared. That was for my English teachers out there. If you don't know what a parenthetical is, neither did I for most of my life. I do now. All a parenthetical is is a phrase in the middle of a sentence that you can take out, but it still makes a complete sentence. So Paul could have said, therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, and it would have been a complete sentence. But he doesn't. He adds in this par- these parenthetical thoughts. And what I found after looking at this is that sometimes, although you know, a parenthetical may not be structurally necessary, sometimes those words are the most essential. And so he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, do like I did. Remember how I was persecuted. Remember how I was falsely imprisoned. Remember how I held true to my convictions, to Christ in spite of my circumstances. Stand firm in the Lord and be like me. Well, that's not what he says either. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. You see, Paul actually has already given us a little bit of information about how he feels about his own accolades and his own accomplishments earlier in chapter 3. We didn't read it tonight, but if you've read Philippians chapter 3, you know that pretty much Paul drops in his LinkedIn bio. And his resume is pretty strong. And he says in chapter 3, if anybody has a reason to boast, it's me. He reminds them of his credentials and he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. According to the Moses' law, I'm a Pharisee. According to zeal, I persecuted the church. And according to the Greek law, I'm blameless. But Paul then goes on to say, not look at me. He says, I count all these things as rubbish. The word that he actually uses in Greek is skubalon. That's a fun word to say. Skubalon. It's actually the only time that that word is ever used in the New Testament. The scholars literally translate that word as dung or human excrement. Now, I'll leave you to your own word study and the debate about how strong a word we think Paul used in this moment. But it was clear to his readers that he he was expressing that his accomplishments and his standing in society was of no worth. 
because he knew his joy and crown were not his accomplishments. They were his relationships. Talk about a shift in perspective. We live in a world right now where our value is determined by our net worth. But Paul knew his value was people. Mark Batterson said a similar, expressed a similar sentiment as Paul when he said, legacy is not what you accomplish. Legacy is what others accomplish because of you. He also said, discipleship is growing fruit on other people's trees. They both knew, they know that their joy and their crown are people. As I was preparing for this, I couldn't help but remember another person uh, who came to mind as I was thinking about Paul. And I was thinking about uh, this idea of care for people. It's a person a little bit closer to our church home. His name was Ignacio Brache. Senior. Sorry, Nacho, you're not quite there yet. If you were fortunate enough to know Senior Brache, you know that all he wanted to do was serve and help people. And he did. And if that wasn't enough, right, he then wanted to gather more people to go with him to help serve and help more people. And then when he had all these people gathered, he realized, I need to collect a whole bunch of stuff that I can take with me and give away to people in need to show them the love of Christ. I mean, if, if you knew Senor Brache, you probably asked you to give away some of your own stuff. I've seen some pictures that make me laugh because you've never seen as many suitcases trying to be loaded onto a plane than you did when a group was traveling to South America with Ignacio. Or a truck so loaded, Mike, you probably know, headed to Mexico because he could just get a little more things in there to give away. I bet you part of Ignacio's legacy is sitting in the pews right now. And I know that his son, Nacho, and his wife, Shelly, are going to continue Ignacio's legacy as they're starting a nonprofit called the Brache Bread Foundation. And that foundation is going to raise money to give to people who, try, who want to travel on short-term and long-term missions because that's what Ignacio loved. Ignacio got what Paul was communicating to the Philippians in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, that his crown and his joy were not his accomplishments, but his relationships. So as I land the plane today, I want to wrap up quickly with verses 4 through 9. 
I'm grateful that Paul lays out a path to help us stay zoomed out because I need to be reminded of that all over the time. I mean, every single day my tendency is to zoom in. So as Daniel and the band come up to start playing our closing song, I want to just quickly touch on these verses. In verse 4 of Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Choose joy no matter the circumstances. Remember that your present circumstances are light momentary affliction. In verse 5, Paul says, be known for being reasonable. Or some of your translations may say gentle. Be known for being reasonable and gentle. Once again, I think this is another verse I skipped over because I don't have this one memorized. It kind of snuck up on me. Am I known for being reasonable and gentle? I think that's a message our church today needs to hear. In verses 6 and 7, he quickly says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray. And keep praying until the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards your heart and your mind. We need our hearts and mind guarded. He doubles down in verse 8 when he says, finally, think about these things. Focus on these things. Whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, excellent, and things worthy of praise. Paul saying, what are we filling our minds with? If you want the peace of God, fill your minds with these things. And as he closes, in verse 9, this section, he gives the Philippians a charge. He says, what you have learned and received, practice these things. Practice. Yes, Alan Iverson, we're talking about practice. Do them over and over and over again until they become second nature, until they become a habit or a discipline. Rejoice always. Be reasonable and gentle. Don't be anxious. Pray and think on these things. What a blessing that we have these verses. Paul gives us a path to peace and perspective in his letter to the Philippians. If we will only practice these things. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.